Our gracious God and Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We honor, praise, and glorify, worship your name. We do ask that you are honored this morning as your word goes forth. Lord, give to us listening ears, believing hearts and minds that, that understand. We pray that you would be honored in our time of worship. Lord, I decrease so that you may increase. Please become more in the lives of your people. Please show yourself to be more as you reveal more understanding to your people. Lord, help them not see me or hear me, but hear you, see you, and glorify you and you alone. We ask that all that we do this morning would be for the glory of your son, for the good of your people. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Turn with me, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And I do uh, say good morning to you. I greet you in the name of the Lord. Welcome you on this Lord's Day as we continue our series, First Things, a study through Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Last week, when we gathered on the Lord's Day, we considered the second verse of Genesis chapter 1. We learned that the world was not created in chaos. The world was not created in chaos. God, the superlative designer of the universe, did not call forth his creation, any of his creation in chaos. There is not a thing that has come from the hand of God in disarray. Amen. The world, as it was initially created, was uninhabitable for man, but not chaotic. Amen. The world, as it was initially created, was not out of control. It was not in need of being corralled into control by God. It was simply uninhabitable or not yet made ready for man to live in. We learned that God is a God of order, that when he called forth the heavens and the earth, he did not call them forth in chaos, but in order. We learned that the spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. And from that depth, God called forth his creation. The spirit of God and a covenant are always present when God calls forth his new creation. We saw this very fact with Adam, with Noah, with the children of Israel, with Christ and with the church of the New Testament. The spirit of God was present when he called forth his creation. And this is, as we learned last week, the work of God and the work of God alone. Only God can bring forth life where there is no life. Only God can cause the, the valley of dry bones to live. Only God can restore a broken covenant. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we, we saw that God makes a new promise, a promise of a new and better covenant. The promise is that through Jesus Christ, the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and through the inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth, God has restored to us what we lost in Adam. And not only what we lost in Adam, but so much more, so much more. Therefore, put your trust in Christ, in the blood of his covenant, which forgives sins. Adam, Adam could not restore his broken covenant with God. Israel could not restore their broken covenant with God. But God provided a, a new and better Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ who has accomplished what the, the first Adam failed to accomplish, perfect obedience and fulfillment of the covenant of works. Christ and Christ alone has accomplished this. 
And now, today, brothers and sisters, we will cover a large portion of the first chapter of the book of Genesis in which we will discover that God's creation is good. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, please. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called forth dry land, earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, the fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let there let the waters swarm with with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is God's word. Please be seated. There are a number of points that we will discuss this morning. The first one being this. Creation is good. Very good. Number one, creation is good. Very good. Verse 31 of chapter 1 says, And God saw everything that he had made, 
And behold, it was very good. Brothers and sisters, God created all things. All things? All things. Everything? Everything. Even that? Even that. What about this? Oh, that too. God created all things. All things that you see were made by God. All things even that you don't see that pass by you through the night. That maybe crawl on you, huh, Brother Arnold? That maybe crawl on you in the night. God created all of those things and more. And they are from the mouth of God. And not only good, but very good. Creation as it has come forth from God was good. Have you ever considered the goodness of creation? There is one thing that I hate more than all things in all of God's creation. Flies. I don't understand them. I understand the whole decomposing uh, process, but I hate them. But God made them and they are good. Maggots. Some of us, the old word is asko. Some of us get that by thinking of it. But although they gross us out, they are good. My son hates black widows more than anything in the world. But God has made black widows for a reason, and they are good as God has created them. Have you ever considered the things that you hate the most, think about in creation, that God has made and has made good? Have you ever considered that God made the skies good? The land, good. The sea, its vegetation. The sun, moon, stars, birds of the air, beasts of the field, and even man, you and I. God has made us not just good, but very good. Now that is a difficult thing because we look into the world and what we see is not necessarily good. We look to the sky and what do we see? We see a deathly haze over our cities, do we not? We look into our seas and what do we see? filth that has polluted our waters we look into the land and what do we see animals and vegetation that are pumped with chemicals and hormones that are harmful to humanity and we see creation and we don't see them as as good how do we know that creation from the start was good how how do we know none of us were there None of us were witnesses to the goodness of creation. How do we know that creation was good? We know that creation was good because God told us that it was good. God told us that his creation was good. Where did God tell us that his creation was good? In his word. And we believe what God has said. We believe that the Bible is inerrant and infallible. That it is without error. That it is incapable of making a mistake. Therefore, we accept and believe that the Bible tells us what the Bible tells us. Because the Bible is self-authenticating. If that's a a word you never heard before, write that down. The Bible is self-authenticating. It authenticates itself. No one authenticates the Bible. The Bible authenticates itself. We do not believe the Bible because a certain council said that we must believe the Bible. We do not believe the Bible because a certain pope or priest 
or even for that matter, pastor has commanded that we believe the Bible. No, brothers and sisters, we believe the Bible because the Bible authenticates itself. It, it authenticates its own power. It authenticates its own uh, will to our lives. And by the grace of God, we recognize that it is true. We recognize and by the grace of God, we believe what the scriptures tell us. You know that that is only by the grace of God that you can believe what the Bible tells you. Do you know that? That you can read your Bible as you do. And it is by grace and by the Spirit of God that you read what you read and believe what you read. The Bible tells us that, tells us that creation was good. Therefore what? Therefore it was good. There is no need for us to prove that it was good. God's word says that it was good and it is so. We see in the Bible that it declares seven times that creation is good. Look at your Bibles. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. This is the first pronouncement of creation being good. God said, let there be light. Boom. And there is light. Yeah. Think of the, the creative power of God that he, near, he, he merely says, and it is. And God says, let there be light. And this, brothers and sisters, this is not the light of the sun. Pause. When God says, let there be light, he did not say, let there be a sun. God said, let there be light. Sun does not come until the fourth day. God says, let there be light and there is light. It is what, what kind of light is it? It's light. It's light. What was the light like? I don't know. Brighter than what you see here? Maybe, I'm sure. We don't know exactly. But we do know that light was not eternal, that God called light forth. And it was so God has made light. What kind of light was it? We don't know. But we do know that that God dwells in unapproachable light. And that light was created. So what is this light that God calls forth when he says, let there be light? We don't know. But we do know God said, let there be light. And with God's creative power of speech, there was light. God speaks and there is. God calls forth light. And this light dispels the darkness. At this time, darkness is not evil. Darkness at this time is simply darkness, which is also a product of creation. Think about that. That darkness is also a product of creation, just as light is also a product of creation. Can you think about that? Can you imagine that there is not darkness until God says, let there be darkness? <laughs> think about that tonight when you shut off the lights, that God made darkness. And it's hard for us to imagine because darkness is the absence of something, is it not? But God made that. By simply saying and simply speaking. The second day, verses 6 to 8, God called forth an expanse between the waters and the sky, and it was good. On the third day, verses 9 through 10, 
God called forth the land, the sea, and separated the two, and it was good. Verse 11 through 13, God calls forth vegetation, plants, fruit-bearing trees, and it was good. The fourth day, verses 14 through 19, God calls forth sun, moon, and stars, and it was good. The fifth day, God calls forth, in verse 20 through 23, the creatures in the sea, the birds of the air. And guess what the conclusion was? It was good. On the sixth day, God calls forth, in verse 24 through 30, God calls forth beast of the field. And not only beast of the field, but in verse 26, a unique creature in all of God's creation. Man. God forms man out of his image in the dust of the ground. And what is God's conclusion about his creation? Man. Verse 30. And God saw everything, everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Brothers and sisters, creation is good. Creation is good. Why is that important for us to understand? We can easily read through the first chapter of the book of Genesis and treat it like a fairy tale. We could read through those, those, those verses in Genesis chapter 1 and treat them like a children's story. But they are not a children's story. There is intention in us reading that creation is good and God telling us that creation is good. Why? So that we can understand the depths of the fall of man. Why is creation good? Why is it important for us to know that creation is good? So that we can understand just how deep the depths of the fall were. Was. It is a tragedy that all was good. And in the midst of goodness, man falls. Which leads us to our second point. God made creation and saw that it was good. God made creation and saw that it was good. Verse 31. I think that last one was 31. I'm sorry. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. God surveyed. All that he had made and declares seven times it is good. Now, now think about this, brothers and sisters. Was God surprised at what he had made? Verse 31 says that God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. Is God looking at everything that he made and is he shocked that hey, that actually came out a lot better than I expected? That's pretty good. No. God was not surprised by the goodness of his creation. It was just as he eternally willed it to be. So why the phrase, and God saw that it was good? Why, why that phrase? And it's repeated seven times, the goodness, or at least that God saw that it was good. Why does the Bible say that God saw that it was good? Does it not imply that God is seeing something and surprised, or at least pleased with what he has done? Yes. So why the statement? God declared that creation was good in order that we might understand that it was good. Not so that he could understand that it was good. Amen. Pastor Zay and Pastor John and myself have been talking about this for the past few months now. That God speaks to us in ways that we can understand. 
So therefore he looks at creation and sees that it is good so that we can understand that creation, yes, it is good. God made it, and that's why it's good. This is, uh, uh, this is how God eternally willed for creation to be. He made all things according to his purposes, according to his plan. Therefore, God can look at each of his creation day after day and say, good, 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 just as I willed it, just as I willed it. When the Bible says that God saw that it was good, this is not man's opinion of what God has made. Are you with me? This is what God has said. This is not Moses, who was the author, writing and saying, yeah, I saw it and it's pretty good. No, this is from God. When God calls things into being, they are exactly as he intended them to be. When God called all things into being, they are exactly as he intended them to be. Perfectly as he intended them to be. When God called forth the sun, it was as he intended it to be. The moon, the stars, all of existence are ex you and I exactly the way God intended us to be. They, we, are his handiwork. He is the master architect, the master designer. God has not called forth something into being that is the opposite of what he expected it to be. Are you with me? God has not called something into existence that is the opposite of what he called into existence. When God calls forth his creation, it's not like when we order at a restaurant. When we order at restaurants, we sometimes are pleased with what we receive once we make the order. We make the order and we hope for the best, don't we? Do we not? <laughs> Especially depending on what restaurant you, you make the order and you, you call forth something and you hope for the best. And sometimes what you get is not what you ordered. You're displeased. You regret it. You looked past the, the, the menu or you think back in your mind, I should have got the meatloaf. I should have got the salmon. I knew it. I was trying to be creative and try something different. I should have stuck with what I know, right? And if you're like me, you send it back. Give me something else. We were in D.C. and uh, the waitress was not happy with me. But it's not so for God. When God calls forth, when God makes orders, they are exactly how God intended them to be. Now, this does not mean that all things that God has created were created immutably. Write that word down or write that down. This does not mean that God created all things immutably, meaning this. God did not cre create things that are not subject to change. When God made creation, he made creation in a mutable state, in a, in a state in which it could possibly change or it could not possibly. It would change. It could diminish or it could increase. We see that Adam was created in a mutable state. Adam could change. He could, this is very important, we'll get to this next week, he could better or worsen his initial state of being. He could make, now think about this, God made Adam perfect. Amen. In his image, without sin. And Adam could better his initial state of creation. Well, you think, how do we get any better than that? How could I get any better than sinless, living in a perfect world? 
I could better my situation? Yes. And Adam could also worsen his situation, which we know he did. How could Adam better his situation? Come next week. We'll talk about it. Just, that's a, that's a, a gimme for you to come next week. <laughs> All of creation. Here, let me give you the answer. How could he better his state? Look at Jesus. Born in the same way, what did he receive? Glorification. Why? Through perfect obedience. Adam could have achieved that, but he failed. Which is why we have the new Adam, the better Adam, who does what Adam failed to do. Amen? Amen? All of creation was made in such a way that it initially was good. And it was also subject to change. But listen, something being subject to change does not take away from its initial goodness. Just because it is subject to change doesn't mean it's, it's, it's not good or that it was bad in and of itself. Are you with me? It was made what? Good, but also able to change. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it is good. Are you with me? God made creation good, not neutral. It is as exactly as he intended it to be. And if we say anything different, no, creation is not good. Then we do violence to God's word. Why? Because what has God's word said about creation? That it's good. Period. And this includes you and I. We were made good. We too came forth from our creator in a sinless state. Man was good when he was created. Therefore, Being a created thing as we are, it's not a bad thing. If God made all things good, being a created creature, a creature, something created by God, it's not bad. Because God said it was good. We are distinct from God. We're not God. God is God. We are his creation. But being human is not your problem. Are you with me? Being a dependent creature. A creature limited by space and time, a creature that is finite and temporal, is not bad. You are human. Why? Because God made you that way. And that's good. We talked about this at the outset. Creation is good. We don't need to be God in order to be good. God made you as his creation. Are you with me? Now let's get to the next point, three. Creation is corrupted. Creation is corrupt or corrupted. Verse, or Romans chapter 8. Let's go there. Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. Romans eight twenty. We there? <clears throat> For creation was subjected to futility not willing not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god now there is a difference between being corrupted and something being bad in and of itself amen a difference between something being corrupted And that's something being bad in and of itself. The Apostle Paul describes the creation as being subjected to futility. How? How was creation 
corrupted. Sin of Adam. Because of the sin of Adam, creation has been corrupted and cursed. But this does not mean that creation in and of itself is bad. God made creation. But it is corrupted. When Adam sinned and violated the law of God, what did God do? He cursed the ground. Right? The ground wasn't bad, but the ground is now cursed. And it would no longer yield its fruit with ease. But instead... Life for humanity would be difficult from that point forward. Why? Because creation is cursed. God has done that. But brothers and sisters, creation did not violate God's law. We did. Creation did not violate God's law. We did. Creation is not a volitional, choosing, acting, willing thing. It's not human. Creation suffers our sin. Because of our sin. All creation suffers because of our sin. It's cursed. And we do suffer now the consequences of that curse. But it doesn't mean that creation is sinful. Keep that in mind as we move forward. Humans are, are, are sinful. We are sinners by nature. But not creation. Our problem is not being created beings. Not being creatures. Our problem is that we're sinners. We are sinners. Our problem is not our flesh, not, not this skin and bones, but rather our nature, which we inherited from Adam. That is our problem. God has made us good. Our humanity, once again, is not our problem. There have been many schools of thought, and we'll just talk for a few moments about two of them, that, that have misplaced the wickedness of humanity. Or misdiagnosed the wickedness of humanity. Number one, there is the mistake of the Jews. The mistake of the Jews. In the New Testament, we find that many Christians are influenced by the Jews, particularly in thinking that certain foods, like certain foods or Gentiles, are bad in and of themselves. We'll talk about this more. In the New Testament, and especially in the Old there are Jews who believe that Gentiles are bad in and of themselves. Who believe that certain foods are bad in and of themselves. The Lord Jesus Christ, he deals with this when he encounters the Pharisees. And what does he say? It's not what goes into a man that makes him wicked. It's what comes out of the man that makes him wicked. It's not the man himself. Or it's not the, the things from the outside that make him evil. It's that which is on the inside that makes him evil. The Apostle Paul also addressed this issue many times when he encountered the Pharisees and the like. And what was the issue? The issue was this. The Jews believed that camels, pigs, and Gentiles, which they likened to camels or, or to pigs, that they were bad in and of themselves. That they were created bad. That's why God restricted us from eating them, because they are bad. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 14, 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing in is unclean in itself. At the race, we're talking about this right now. Colossians 2, 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-religion, that self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the, severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That was Colossians 2.21. 
the Apostle Paul is saying, your problem is not your body. Your pro- the problem is not don't touch, don't taste. The problem is your sin nature. You not touching, you not tasting is not going to deal with what's going on inside of you. That's where the real problem is. And where do the Jews get this false idea from? They got it from a failure to recognize and distinguish between a moral law and a positive law. Take those notes down. Moral law and a positive law. What is a moral law and a positive law? Moral law. It refers to that which is moral universally. Universally right and wrong. It is universally right and wrong to commit adultery, to murder, to lie, to steal, on and on. It is universally wrong. It is how God created mankind. We have written within us the law of God that recognizes and universally knows these things are wrong. One of the, the tools that I use when I share the gospel is to, to address the universal moral laws of God. When someone says, when I go to someone and say, do you think it's wrong to kill? Yes. Is it wrong for everyone to kill? Yes. Why? How, do, how, does it, how is it that, that everyone knows it's wrong to kill? Who put that in us? Well, we all just know. We can't just know. God did that. That is a moral law. And the Ten Commandments are a summary of the moral law of God. They apply to all people of all times and in all places. They've always been wrong. They've always been sin. And they always will be sin. Now, what is a positive law? Positive law refers to things that that become wrong because of an added restriction. When you hear positive, don't think that it's encouraging law. It's an added law. So positive meaning added, addition, added. Positive law. It's a law that God is adding. For example, was the tree of knowledge bad or good? Was the tree of knowledge bad or good? Well, that's a conundrum, isn't it? It was good. It was part of God's creation. Did God make the tree and say, I'm going to make a bad thing? No. God made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God gave a positive law. He added a law. Don't eat of that tree. If it was a a universally bad law, then where's the tree today? And who's avoiding it? We don't know. You might be eating from a tree right now in your backyard. We don't know where the garden was. I mean, we, I mean, it's, see, we don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a positive law. It's something that God added. It was part of God's creation. God gave a positive law for a specific purpose in the covenant that he made with Adam called the covenant of works. So God was making a covenant with Adam. And in part of that covenant, God makes a restriction. I've got a law for you. Don't eat of that tree. It's a positive law. He adds to it. It's an added law. And the law, it's an added law added to the law which was already on Adam's heart. Which is what? Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't kill. So and so and so. Right? God adds that. And here's this. And don't eat from that tree, Adam. Don't eat from that tree and you will achieve a state better than the one that you have right now. When God created or when God commanded, now here, 
When God commands the Jews not to eat camels, it's not because camels are sinful and bad. When God tells the Jews not to eat pigs, it's not because pigs are sinful and bad. Those are positive laws that God adds to the, to the nation to distinguish them from other nations. God had a wise and sovereign reason for giving these positive laws. They are added on. They are given for a specific purpose to accomplish a specific goal. They can be added and they were taken away. What is, what is when, when Peter receives a revelation in, in the book of Acts, what does God say? Get up and eat. Right? He's saying to Peter, it's all good. And what is Peter's response? Never, Lord, I've never tasted such things. Those laws have been taken away now. Those positive laws have been removed. Now Peter's now got to say to Peter, eat some bacon. Enjoy. Now, here's the difficult thing. The Jews lived under that burden of positive laws for so long that they got positive law and moral law confused. They made that which is positive moral and that which is moral. They treated it as no big deal. The ceremonial laws, they were heavy burdens. And again, they lived under it so long that that circumcision, which was a positive law, became a moral law. Are you with me? That circumcision, which was a positive law in the Old Testament, became a moral law. They were supposed to do that. And if they didn't, then they were sins. And pigs, no different. Gentiles, no different. A Gentile who was not circumcised was just as bad as a pig. Pigs are bad because God has prohibited them. They took the positive laws, which were not universally right or wrong, and attributed goodness and badness to those things because of positive laws. They got them confused. So Jesus comes, and he removes that yoke. And Paul says, circumcision, uncircumcision, none of those things matter. What matters is being a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, to the Jew, that's, that's insane for them. Because all they've ever known is these positive laws. And if we don't do them, then we are not right before God. And Jesus comes, and Paul comes and says, not so. What matters is faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And they're confused. If God said circumcise, we must circumcise. If God says don't eat, then we must eat. Why would he take these away? They didn't realize it was a positive law that could be taken away at no cost. At no cost. They were being freed from these things. But the Jews, again, made these things necessary for salvation. And it became a threat to the gospel. When you read the book of Acts, what is the council they're doing? What is the Jerusalem council they're gathering for? They're discussing the gospel. They're discussing whether or not these Gentiles have to come under the Mosaic law in order to be saved, as well as put their faith in Christ. Can you imagine if, if the, the, the apostles at that time said, yes, we need to, to submit to the Mosaic law, that is the, the, the ceremonial and civil law, in order to be saved? Can you imagine what we would be doing today in order to be saved? Thank God for the wisdom and the spirit of God upon those men at that time who said, no, it is by faith that we are saved and faith alone. Huge, huge. God made creation good. Nothing came forth from the hand of God. Circumcision is not the answer. Not eating pigs is not the answer. Eat a pig, brothers and sisters. Eat. I don't know if you want to eat a camel. Eat a camel if you want to. I won't eat pickle tongue, but it's all good if you want to. 
you're, you're disgusting to me, but you're not in sin. Eat a cow. Whatever you want to eat. Don't eat us, but eat whatever you want. That's not good. And it's freeing. Because we don't have to submit to the regulations of do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Our conscience is free. Now, we should be mindful. We are always, we talked about this at the race. Be mindful of the weaker brother. Uh, Respond to the weaker brother out of love and out of wisdom, but not out of morality. Not because what you're doing is a sin, but because you care about that brother enough that if that's going to cause them to stumble, then you won't do it. No big deal. All things are permissible, but not all things are helpful. Amen. The error of the Jews was to fail to see the goodness of creation because of the positive laws that God gave them in his wisdom. Number two, the mistake of enlightenment. The mistake of enlightenment, or you could call it the mistake of Gnostics, the mistake of the Gnostics. This is another mistake that we find in the New Testament and later and even today, I think. The idea that human beings are souls just trapped in a body. The, the, the body, the flesh, and the material world, the things that we see that are created are bad. And we need to be freed from this body by reaching a place of enlightenment or a place of knowledge. That's a dangerous thought. Here's why that, knowledge, that, that thought is appealing. Because man wants to eliminate the line between creator and creature. They want to believe that there is a certain level of understanding or knowledge or wisdom that we can reach that will, that will help us to reach nirvana, that state of absolute peace and enlightenment. And believe it or not, it is found throughout the New Testament, especially in 1 John. The Gnostics believe that Christ did not come in the flesh and those who reached enlightenment did not sin. Why didn't Christ come in the flesh? Because to them, in in their Greek mindset, the incarnation and the resurrection were the most vile things that they had ever heard of. The eternal God become flesh. Ah, this is the... No one would ever come into this vile suit of a man. A deity coming into this, this flesh? Absurd. They rejected the incarnation, the resurrection of Christ... They viewed the world as bad and that our souls need to be freed from this body. They believed that they did not sin because they'd gone past fleshly sin, that they'd reached a level of superior knowledge. And now they believe that they were a perfect spiritual person. Can you imagine even coming to that conclusion? And what does the Apostle John say? No, the people of God, they keep the commandments of God. The people of God do not call God a liar. The people of God do not say Christ has not come in the flesh. That kind of person is an antichrist. These false teachers had a problem with creation and the goodness of it. If your problem is your body, then what do you need to be saved from? Your body. Your body's not the problem. The gospel comes and said, the problem is not your body. The problem is your, your soul. You need to be redeemed. You need a new nature, not a new body. We would all like new bodies, I'm sure, but you need a new nature, not a new physical flesh and blood. At the heart of the error is failing to recognize that creation is good. Creation is good. It is a relocation of the problem. It is passing the buck on our problem. The heart of our rebellion 
is man's, the heart of our problem is man's rebellion against God. And that we are separated from God because of our sin and his holiness. Our sin separates us from God and his holiness separates us from God. But those who pass the buck and say, no, it's, it's, it's everything else, they relocate the problem. Why? So that they can escape responsibility. Man will blame anything and everything except for his own sin on his problem. Jews blame things. Greeks blame bodies. Society blames evolution. We blame our neighborhood, our parents, our upbringing, our parents, our education, our finances. But the only word of God points to our hearts and says, no, creation is not our problem. Bodies are not our problem. False notion of evolution is not your, not your hood, not your parents, not your upbringing or your appearance, your education. None of those things. Not even your finances. Those are not your problem. God's holy word points to you and to me and says, you are the problem. You are the reason why you are in this condition because of your rebellion against God. You and I have sinned. Creation is not the problem. We are the problem. The word of God. Let's just let that set in for a second. And in light of the word of God pointing to us and saying, you are the problem. Praise be to God that he has not left us there. The word of God has not left us alone to find answers in creation to our problem. Creation will point us to to a creator. But that will only take us so far. The book of Romans says it's not sufficient. And as our confession says, it's not sufficient. It is it is enough light to show us a creator but not enough light to point us to Christ. And yet God in his mercy has provided for us an answer in sending the Lord Jesus Christ, where, of all places, into creation. Of all places, into creation. God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this vile, created, cursed world that is good. The Bible says in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It is through Christ in Christ alone that we are rescued from the wrath of God. It is through Christ in Christ alone that we can escape the curse of this creation, the sin of man. He is the living resurrection and the guarantee of our eternal salvation. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of the flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from hope of the gospel that you have heard. Creation is good. Creation, as it has come forth from God, is good. And creation is cursed because of our sin. But God did not leave us there. Paul says that God has reconciled us to him in Christ. That is a relationship that God has provided for us in Christ that can restore what we lost in Adam and give us so much more. Our bodies and souls were created good. We were pronounced good at creation. And we do long to be freed from these bodies. But why? So that we can receive our new body in the new creation. One that is not poisoned with sin. Wouldn't you love it to, to receive what you have now? It will be familiar to you. Just absent of sin. Absent of sin. This new creation is what is promised to us in Christ. And brothers and sisters, it is material. It's not just an imaginary thing. It's not like we're going to put our hands through things and it's just going to, like a cloud, go right through it. It is a material world. Your bodies will be a material body. God has promised that. You won't just be floating around. Do you know that? You're not going to want to go somewhere and jump on a cloud and start floating down That's not the way it will be. It will be this new heaven, this new earth. You will have new regenerated bodies. If we think creation is bad, we misdiagnose the problem. We blame blame creation and creation is not the problem. We need a savior, but not from creation. From God's justice to punish sin, the sin that we committed. We are the problem, and the answer is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Let us stand.